Hello and welcome to the Pioneers Post podcast, social enterprise stories and conversations from across the world. Maths, science, literature, social enterprise? This time on the Pioneers Post podcast, we'll be hearing from some very passionate people. They are convinced that bringing social enterprise into school education has huge potential, not only to change the way children learn, but to solve issues faced by communities across the globe. The conversation took part during this year's Social Enterprise World Forum. It's a global gathering of social entrepreneurs and mission-driven businesses and happened in September in Edinburgh. So um, good afternoon, everybody. Um, speaking to you from the Social Enterprise World Forum in Edinburgh, uh, literally just a few minutes before the uh, opening ceremony. Um, so we're all very excited to be here. Um, today we're going to have a conversation uh, about the role that social enterprise can play within our education systems. Um, and I have three wonderful speakers with me today who I shall introduce shortly. Um, but firstly, what I wanted to do was to to just uh, frame our, our conversation. Uh, so my name is Juliette Cornford, and I work on the Global Social Enterprise team at the British Council. Um, currently active in just over 30 countries around the world, helping to build uh, strong ecosystems uh, for, for social enterprise. Um, so as a bit of background, in 2016, the British Council developed a new resource for schools framed around social enterprise as part of our work around building inclusive economies uh, with two leading UK organisations, the Social Enterprise Academy, who are Scotland-based, um, and the Real Ideas Organisation. And it was really designed around uh, helping young people to engage and understand how business can address social problems, as well as providing young people with those critical core skills um, and practical experience to, to set up and, and run something themselves. Um, and it's something that employers tell us frequently that, that young people often lack when they enter the, the labour market. So we saw a, a space here, a gap, um, and we recognised that social entrepreneurship in, in schools uh, had an enormous potential, um, particularly driven by some of the external drivers that we, we see in the world around us, around rising youth unemployment and increasing uh, income inequality. Um, and we know that global sustainability will be driven by entrepreneurship. Um, and there are many different models around the world of how entrepreneurship is taught in schools uh, with varying degrees of success and with many arguing that the education systems don't really prepare young people with the right skills for the world they're about to, to enter. Um, and most teaching, uh, I think people would agree, is still framed around traditional narrow economic models of, of business. Um, but for those of us that are already convinced that social enterprise is the business model of the future, we know it works. Um, but the same can't always be said for policymakers and those working within education systems. Um, so within the social enterprise sector, we often talk about succession planning and where the next generation of social entrepreneurs and innovators are, are going to come from. So it seems a logical step that we need to invest uh, in equipping our young people with, with those skills and mindsets and values that will encourage uh, a new entrepreneurial, socially entrepreneurial society of, of young people who are going to be equipped to go out and tackle some of those societal problems. 
Um, so we launched our pack, as I said, in 2006, and to date we have now over 50,000 young people around the world engaged in learning uh, about social enterprise. Um, and that prompted us to, to look a little, a little bit deeper about what was happening around, around the world. Um, so we commissioned a, a thought leadership piece looking at the role that education uh, and social enterprise plays. Um, so without further ado, I'm really delighted to, to introduce our, our three uh, guests today. Um, our first guest is Richard Catherall who is the co-author of the thought leadership piece um, and we launched and spoke to that yesterday at the Glasgow Academic Symposium for the Social Enterprise World Forum. So welcome Richard. Thank you for inviting me. And our second guest is uh, Gulmira uh, Beva from the British Council in Kazakhstan who's been leading on our schools programme there. So welcome Gulmira. Thank you for having me. And finally, uh, we have uh, Kostas Stagio from Greece, who uh, has uh, been uh, supporting us with our school's work there. So welcome, Kostas. Thank you for the invitation. Richard, I, I wonder if you can uh, tell us a bit about what you think some of the barriers and challenges are to introducing the concept of social entrepreneurship into our education systems. And did you see anything or hear anything yesterday at the academic symposium that you thought disrupted or challenged your thinking around that? Yes, I did. I mean, when we set out to do the thought piece, we wanted it to be a thought-provoking, disruptive piece that would get people talking, would get people talking together. The risk of being too disruptive is that we would have triggered a lot of resistance because our education systems are already asked to do a lot. Uh, they're all under, under a lot of pressure. And it's a professional workforce. People know what they're doing. They dedicate whole careers to that sector. And one of the things that I enjoyed about the piece was that I think I think we got the uh, the balance just about right where there was a real interest amongst teachers and uh, education practitioners about this if it could fit into their work as a professional ethos if it was a tool if it was a vehicle for them overcoming some of the challenges that they face and the pressures that they're under and also if it adapted very well to the local context um, because global education systems, um, they, they are scaled up, but they are dealing with very different development stories in, in different parts of the world. Um, and the countries that uh, are, are low and middle-income countries and, and where the education systems are most connected to how those countries will develop in the next 15 years in terms of growth and uh, job creation, wealth creation and community building, were most interested in actually bringing entrepreneurship into the curriculum earlier because on a daily basis those children, those families, um, they, they have to go through their country's context to get to school and then go through it to get back home and so they, 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 they feel that um, the classrooms can be opened up and bring that outside world in so that young people can actually be exposed not just protected um, from the challenges happening uh, in their communities. So I think that that was, for me, would be one of the biggest barriers is if we didn't make the most of this massive resource across the world of teaching professionals and find a way of not just introducing it as a curriculum item, but actually empowering education professionals to see this as a tool and a vehicle. At the symposium yesterday, um, what was really, really challenging to me, which, which just shows what's happening, not as a direct result of the think piece, but what's been happening since, 
is that people are now looking very closely at some of the assumptions then about how to teach entrepreneurship, even at a later level where there are very, um, very well-established models. And when we were listening yesterday from the people from Asia, Hong Kong in particular, the research was starting to show that well, a lot of the models in the UK and Europe were based on uh, learning by doing, experiential learning. And I've been a practitioner of that for 15 years as well. You know, most of the stuff that I do helps people experience entrepreneurship in an authentic way. And this research was starting to suggest that if the education system has taught people in a certain way and you engage them towards the end of that period around GCSE A-level time or early university time, they may actually not find that as accessible as previous generations, which is a concern because that, that removes one of the most effective ways of, of teaching entrepreneurship. So we're not only dealing with um, changing the education system, we're also dealing with um, the education system as it is. And, and I think that what people are now starting to refresh are some of the assumed positions on how to teach entrepreneurship uh, to young, to, with young people. And, uh, and that's a great opportunity for social entrepreneurs because in that uh, shift, in that contextual shift, we can make a move away from just pure economic value, looking at social profit, looking at uh, environmental change, looking at how communities uh, are resilient and, and, and can be developed sustainably. So I found that fascinating. And then what I also learned was, and not from Europe, and I've said this for quite some time in other pieces, there are best practice examples coming from the other side of the world where people are saying, you know, if we're encouraging young people to stay in education systems, then we've also got to be quite radical about how those degrees happen for people. And the examples that were shown about much more personalised, adapted, uh, self-directed learning for uh, university students to actually, who might find traditional degree courses inaccessible or, or just not really buy into them, um, the success that they're having in improving education outcomes and therefore enabling people to apply their education to the real world, I found fascinating. And it can only be a matter of time before people start to look at the maximum application of self-directed learning within schools. And again, what's a safe environment for that? I would say social enterprise and social entrepreneurship education. Great. Thank you, Richard. Uh, Konstantinos, you're a, an academic um, and you've supported the British Council to, to build a pool of expert teachers and to roll out the, the skills pack or the skills for skills pack in, in, in Greece and you've had wonderful success with now over 6,000 young people using that. The economic crisis in Greece has been very well documented. What do you think the impact of this kind of learnings had on these young people? If we consider the general situation in Greece uh, concerning the crisis, of course, but also the fact that social economy sector provides only 1.2% to the GDP uh, and the legislative framework exists only since 2011 with a few modifications since 2016, then we clearly understand that the challenge for British Council was even bigger trying to put a theoretical framework uh, inside schools, a framework that does not exist and the people do not easily understand what social economy is. So despite the difficulties, the life skills too, and when we say too, we always refer to the Developing Social Entrepreneurs Project program, uh, because there is another one that, the, that we run uh, for primary and lower secondary uh, schools. 
so this Life Skills 2 program gave the huge opportunity for kids to come uh, for the first time um, in, in a very close cooperation together with schools, British Council Life Skills trainers under the um, uh, philosophy and the ideology of social economy. So we modified the, the module of British Council in a way that it's totally adapted to the local reality in Greece. In a reality that we only have less than 300 social enterprises. And in a reality that also the people do not understand their responsibility for uh, social improvement and how they can be involved in social initiatives under the ideology uh, and of social economy. And then they started developing their own social enterprises or social initiatives that could be self-sustainable, of course, but they could have also a social impact as well. And they came out with great ideas. They came out with, with uh, very simple business plan ideas uh, that they all participated in a national competition. And uh, yes, it was uh, a, a very, very inspiring, I would say, process because the kids felt like uh, potential businessmen, but having a very clear social impact. And the ideas were really uh, um, ideas that could be turned in social uh, enterprises in the future. Uh, so um, the first three, yes, they, they identified the big social need. For example, the first prize went to a vocational educational school in Larissa, uh, who developed a social enterprise for the protection of Olympus Mountain and the, the habitat uh, by producing herbs of the, national, of, of the natural environment. So they were also offering some uh, guided tours on the mountain and together with the promotion, the production of the herbs, uh, they could um, uh, increase awareness and the role of people to, to protect the environment together with uh, buying some local products. And um, we can clearly identify a huge need out there. Schools are, are very, uh, I mean, I would say that they are very conservative in the way of approaching things. And it's a system that has not learned to give space to kids to cooperate and to cultivate their creativity and innovation. And um, you could see some teachers saying, I could never believe that this specific student who is always not willing to participate in any type of activity was the one that this specific time took the, his or her chances and together with other people created an amazing idea. So if we manage maybe for the next years to establish a close cooperation with the Ministry of Education we, that we already have an excellent cooperation up to now to make it more concrete and to make it as part of the daily reality but also support students in a way that this social enterprise is not only theory and how to make it happen that will be a great opportunity for a very successful new generation of potential social innovators or social entrepreneurs. Wonderful, thank you. And Gomira, moving to a, another part of the world with, again, um, another different kinds of, of education systems. Can you tell us a little bit about the work that you've been doing in Kazakhstan as well? Uh, 
Yeah, uh, we started back in 2013 uh, with Chevron a project called ICED, Innovation, Social Entrepreneurship and Education. This project is for young people aged 12 to 25. And uh, we started this project because of, again, unsustainability of social project uh, uh, caused by over-reliance on grants, because uh, young people, uh, unemployment was very high. Our kids uh, couldn't get a chance to develop their critical thinking or life skills. And all these factors uh, made us to start the project around social enterprise because we saw that uh, and decided for ourselves that social enterprise is a model that would help our kids to become responsible and uh, to start solving social problems and address them. And also it would uh, provide them the opportunity to, to develop their entrepreneurial skills. And so uh, from year to year, we added something new to the project. So we have like, uh, we organize trainings for them. We uh, do they? Uh, we ask them to develop their own social project and implement them. We have mentorship program. We organize different activities to raise uh, awareness about social uh, entrepreneurship and social issues uh, uh, among wider uh, audience and to develop also a network of social entrepreneurs. I think uh, looking back and from where we started and where we now, I see and I'm proud to say the huge success we have. If years ago when we started, people knew next to nothing about social entrepreneurs, not telling about kids or students, grown-ups didn't know, or educational authorities or governmental people knew nothing about it. But today we see impact on the community level because a witness of that, that the, <clears throat> there is more stories in media and about social entrepreneurs, about the work they do. There is more stories uh, uh, going around and people more and more interested. Uh, as for impact at what Constantina said, we see that they're developing their life skills. They become more confident. They change their attitude to social problems from perspective that it's government that should resolve the problem to the point of view when I am responsible also for this problem. I need to address it and I can do something to resolve this. And if we are saying about numbers, say back in 2016 we, we introduced mentorship program and since that uh, project alumni uh, launched seven social enterprises and also several small businesses. And when we talk to them, they give, uh, they say that it's because they participated in the program. And the other thing I think very important for me, I would quote one of the participants who told me that when she joined the project, she didn't know what to do. She was in depression. She didn't know where to go, what to start. She knew she wanted something different and the project actually helped her identify what exactly she wants to do. And now she runs her own business, which is social as well and supporting, you know, uh, also young people in depression, etc. And uh, we work with not only with young people, we work with trainers, we work with teachers who we train to deliver trainings on social enterprise, we work with businessmen, social entrepreneurs, and we are creating a network of these people and use them to support young people. Wonderful, how inspiring, thank you. Um, 
So I think linking from your all experiences uh, together, um, I'm interested to hear your viewpoints on, on how important the opportunities are for children to learn through experiential learning, so learning by doing. Do, you, do people think that social entrepreneurship can act as a bridge between those traditional teaching methods? Um, what are people's thoughts? I think the timing couldn't be better, or maybe you could say the timing couldn't be worse. I think because you're not focused on just economic value, the social economy, social entrepreneurs are, are problem solvers. And the world is really, really complex and faces some really, really complex issues which affect all communities in one way or another. And so we, it's a huge opportunity to allow and enable and support young people to get to grips with that and not have it have them protected artificially until they're 18 or you know prevent them from being creative and, and understanding what's going on around them um, much earlier we're, we're not uh, we're, we're able to not put too much pressure on them you know they don't have to you know build businesses which end up employing a lot of people or, or raising investment that focus comes much later but the learning um, that can be extracted from how much the world is changing and how much that is seen at a community level um, you know, how early could you start? I, w I would say if you, from where I work in some pretty difficult parts of the world, very young people experience these things on a daily basis anyway. Um, as I said, on the way to school, on the way home, seeing how it impacts on their family and communities. Um, to deny them a way of getting their hands dirty and, you know, playing with those problems is a huge missed opportunity. So I'd say the timing is, is, is really ripe for uh, providing some structure, providing a sandbox, shall we say, for, for young people to uh, get to grips with how the world is changing around them and use that as part of their education. Yeah, and Gamira, you referenced and, uh, and also examples from Greece um, around how important it is to connect social entrepreneurs with communities and, and businesses. I mean, what are some of your ideas, uh, both of you, around how you draw those connections between uh, the the educational institution that sits on the hill and, and how you connect that into to communities? Um, I would say it's more about uh, you know uh, creating this network and uh, providing an opportunity for young people, for kids, to be on the same level as grown-ups and to be able to talk the same language, to use the same language. And uh, as for our project, we, um, they discuss, as a part of the training, the kids discuss about particular problems their community face. And they discuss and share ideas how they would uh, uh, how they would resolve that problem and who they need and who, who whose help required to resolve this problem and they involve uh, in the projects they do as a part of the whole project they involve parents they involve they go straight to the local authorities and describe the problem and pitch them uh, a problem and saying how they could resolve and what kind of support they need and actually that's probably one of the ways of uh, creating that uh, co community cohesion and uh, a sense of belonging to the community. Yeah, it's quite the same in Greece, I would say, because the first of the six activities is focused on the kids' role on mapping 
the neighborhood, okay, the, the city or the, the area that they are living in. So it's them who identify the needs. But we all are also uh, asking from the kids to develop something small so they can manage and understand. So we are going step by step. We are not working in a way that we are going to change the world with something huge. We want easy things that they can be understood and they can be specific, measurable, realistic and time-framed, a smart approach. Brilliant. So, so taking things, I guess, a step away from the kind of the grassroots level, the community level, the individual level, um, what role do you think that policy has to play in terms of introducing new ways of learning? Um, here in Scotland, um, the government is extremely supportive of social enterprise. It's, it's embedded in the curriculum. Um, there are currently, through the support of the Social Enterprise Academy here, around 50% of the schools across the whole island of Scotland uh, involved in some kind of so social entrepreneurship activity with a, with a commitment from the government to, to take that to 100% within, within 10 years. Um, what do people think that, that the UK can learn from international experiences? Personally, I would say that uh, cross-sectorial cooperation is more than needed. Okay, so it's not only the, the, the state's role, but also how we involve uh, the real market. So it, it could be a, a combination of different sectors, public, private, private sector, um, that could all uh, support the process and all can benefit. It's a win-win process. So um, if we bring practitioners close to uh, the kids and they can learn uh, from the real market and the, 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 the market's reality, it's totally different than theory. Mm -hmm. We have a case of a school, uh, disabled kids school in Thessaloniki that they participated in our project and uh, they could never think that they could run their own business. And uh, they learned about the social enterprise in another city and they asked from British Council to support them to have a study visit there and they did. They went all together and they saw another group of people that have created an initiative, disabled people, and they had their own social enterprise, which was sustainable, then they had something to do. And they came back to school and they were so inspired and they, they increased so much their self-confidence that after this study visit, we didn't know more theory, it was more than clear. So in this case, practitioners, of course the state that could uh, bring uh, the opportunity for uh, organizations like we do, as British Council does, inside the school, the school system is a unique cooperation that can has a great potential. So, we, so are we saying that um, one of the ways, the most effective ways to influence policy is to, is to get something happening at a grassroots level and to show policymakers the, the impact? Richard, do you? I think that's right because I think, back to the first point I made, I think that some policymakers are reluctant to ask anything more of education systems. They know that they put it under enormous pressure and they know that they change their mind quite regularly with the political cycle. So when they can see that actually partnerships are possible, the, the pupils and the parents are, are benefiting, that there, there is this practical way of doing it that doesn't necessarily require enormous sums of money or major changes in the law, then it shows them that actually they are not tapping into the problem-solving capacity that's available in the education systems. So what we're actually asking policymakers is to be open, to be convinced, you know, and and uh, and flexible enough to say, 
if it works for you, go for it. And, you know, we'll take some credit probably. But, uh, but we do want that kind of creativity to, to come from the bottom up. Wonderful. Thank you all very much. Um, I'm conscious that our time is ticking and the opening session for uh, the Edinburgh 2018 Social Enterprise World Forum is due to start any moment now. Um, I think that's been a really rich discussion um, and it's been fascinating to hear the, the learnings uh, from different parts of the world. Um, and to reflect as well on what happens uh, in, in the UK and some of those best practices. I think it's a, it's a new space, um, it's an exciting space. There are pockets of wonderful practice beginning to emerge. Um, and I think part of our challenge now is partly what we're doing today with, with Pioneers Post is, is creating opportunities to, to really share those messages on a global scale so that uh, people who are not enlightened in quite the way that we are at the moment, uh, can become excited and convinced that, uh, that there is huge potential in changing the way that we educate our young children and giving them new experiential learning. So thank you all very, very much. You've been listening to the Pioneers Post podcast. If you liked this one, you can continue following our Global Perspective series on www.pioneerspost.com.